Welcome to On the Edge of Equity, where every episode features crucial conversations centered on equity, diversity, and inclusion. But this isn't just talking the talk. It's about inspiring action, asking tough questions, and getting honest answers, because that's the only way that real change happens. Welcome again to On the Edge of Equity, which is a bold new podcast that is powered by Athena Communications, where we're having the crucial conversations that are centered on equity, diversity, and inclusion. So if you are ready to help move our communities from the edge of equity to a place of true justice and inclusion, we invite you to be on this journey. I am so excited, as I am with every single one of our episodes, that I just have amazing guests who have both inspired me and touched me in their life's work, but also in this case, I'm really excited to have a guest that has also impacted me personally, and I've had the opportunity to both engage with him as part of my personal and professional passions, and so I just want to welcome the amazingly incomparable Mr. Chad Bauman to the On the Edge of Equity podcast. Welcome, Chad. <laughs> oh my gosh, with that intro. Thank you so much, Tammy. It's uh, obviously, you know, there's uh, a lot of mutual admiration here and thrilled to be on here with you. Well, I am elated that you have agreed and, and said yes to being a part of this podcast is most people who know me when I am passionate about something, I'm deeply passionate about it. There's no hiding it. I'm not lukewarm. I'm pretty hot. <laughs> so it's either I'm, I'm all the way in or I'm all the way out. And you know how I feel about Milwaukee Rep, how I feel about you, my passion around arts and theater in particular. And so for us to have this conversation brings me a great deal of joy. I want to just start with, you know, for folks who may not, you know, if they've been living under a rock or not familiar with the largest regional theater in the state of Wisconsin, Milwaukee Rep, and do not know necessarily about Chad Bauman, would you just share a little bit of your background and the work that you're doing at Milwaukee Rep? Yeah, I came to Milwaukee Rep 10 years ago from Washington, D.C., and I was first attracted to the theater company because I was working on a co-production at the time from my former company, Arena Stage, and I was really impressed by the artistic quality that was coming out of this theater company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And then I got a phone call from a recruiter, and he said, hey, would you ever consider living in, in Milwaukee? What do you know about Milwaukee? We're actually looking for a new leader. And I said, I went to the Dells as a kid. Does that count? <laughs> And he laughed. And I didn't know much about Milwaukee at the time, except for the great quality theater that was coming out of this theater company. And so I came to Milwaukee and I was immediately fell in love with not only the lake and the beautiful weather and the friendly people, but also this hugely deep and impressive artistic scene that we have. Mm -hmm. So it's a true gem and we love what we do and how we serve our community. I love it. And I, I think you've just talked about being here a decade and in the coming weeks, you're going to be celebrating 10 years with Milwaukee Rep. I feel like it's been close to almost a decade, as long as you've been here, that we've been connected to Milwaukee Rep and this city, as you've talked about, rich arts culture that is here, has experienced a bit of a renaissance. What would you say 
as you're talking about the great productions that Milwaukee Rep has certainly put on its stage, um, but even the work that is happening in community, what does the arts mean to you and what does it mean to Milwaukee? Yeah, so, you know, we all have formal education. We go to school and we go to college. I actually think that my greatest education in my life probably has happened in the theater. And so theater causes us to come together and experience a shared live performance with other members of your community Mm -hmm. and to look through the eyes of others. So I've learned a lot about the world, a lot about my community, a lot about my neighbors just by that activity alone. And I think the largest challenge that we have going into the next five to 10 years is really to continue to build upon our empathy for each other. Mm. And I think that theater has a large role to play in that to have us introduced to things that we normally wouldn't be exposed to otherwise. And I think equity, diversity, and inclusion is really central to that mission. I would agree with you that I think, and we've not talked about this on this podcast, really the way in which seeing the world through an empathetic lens. So we talk a lot about, well, what does it mean, equity, diversity, inclusion? And it really is centered in an appreciation of value of other people. That is that is the heart of what empathy really means. And some of my listeners may not realize this, but I spent a couple of years almost serving while still operating Athena Communications as the inaugural Chief Diversity Officer for Milwaukee Rep. And one of the things that I appreciate, just what you've lifted, and we've had continuous conversations about the role of theater in telling the story of audiences of all backgrounds, or telling the stories of all of us that matter. And most importantly, I think Milwaukee Rep has certainly been a leader locally in leading in equity, diversity, and inclusion. Can you talk a little bit about what this journey has meant to you and the impact that Milwaukee Rep has certainly made in the EDI space? Yeah, I think it's important to recognize that we just sort of built upon the good work of others as well. So the company was founded 70 years ago in the time it was the 1950s by a female CEO, which as you can imagine at the time was very rare. And then we first had our first artistic director of color in the 1960s, which again was very rare. And in the 1970s, we added a managing leader who was female and toured the world, again, very rare. Mm. So there was always these steps along the way where Milwaukee Rep centered equity, diversity, inclusion for whatever it meant at that time. In the last 10 to 15 years, our artistic director, Mark Lametz, really centered having performers that were representative of the community on our stages and telling stories that was representative of the vast diversity of the region. And so that is where we have sort of planted our flag. For me personally, I love the fact that I am introduced to people that are completely unlike me, to audiences that are very unlike me, Mm -hmm. to ideas and concepts that I would not otherwise known. It's interesting. I I think this is a lifelong process. And I think the thing that honestly, Tammy, that you brought to the table that was game-changing for us. They think about training and processes and policies and all of these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But what you said was you have to bring the joy to the work, which is, it's such a simple saying, but so very true. Mm. If you think about this, that we're doing this work so that we can make sure that not only people are welcome in our theaters, but that they're engaged and they're active in purpose and that we're seeking justice and we're seeking the fuel human experience for everybody, yes. that's a, that should be a joyful experience. 
that shouldn't be something that we're forced to do, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that is a really a game changer in the way we think about it. I could not agree with you more that the game changing piece is that this isn't something that we're forced to do. This work isn't because there's a regulation (laughs) or there is this requirement. The joy piece is that we profoundly believe that our world has to be more equitable. We profoundly believe that there are opportunities to engage and uplift, and theater has an incredible way of connecting people around critical issues. And I just think that that is a part of the theater experience that makes our communities better. And if I can just take a moment to think about what was my connection to Milwaukee Rep? It was coming into the performance of the color purple and what it meant to have that story on stage and what it meant to have performers that looked like me and a story that was familiar to me in terms of my background being showcased in a theater right in my hometown and moving beyond just the performances and what happens on stage, but that deeper commitment to our internal culture and how we tell stories across the board that are beyond just race. And so thinking about that, that commitment for you, how important is it that this is baked into the DNA of this organization that you lead? Well, not only is it the right thing to do from an ethical human perspective, it's also the right thing to do from a business perspective. I mean, if you're not throwing open your doors, actively inviting people in, making sure that they are welcome and then engaging them authentically, then you're missing out on a, on a lot of prospective audience members, mm-hmm. right? So from a business perspective, it's the right thing. From a human perspective, which is what theater works to achieve, was a, which is a better understanding of the human condition and humanity, then it's absolutely what we should be doing. I remember one of my first interactions going back to The Color Purple was not only working with you, which is how we started our relationship, but was also working with John Daniels III. And I remember him saying that, listen, before I come to your dinner table, you need to come to mine. Mm. And he invited us out to his church and the entire cast went and it was a terrific experience. Yes. And it was the start of developing a relationship. And so we also need to be mindful of getting out of our four walls, making sure that we're in places across the city that maybe traditionally don't feel like they have access to the theater and providing an easier way of engaging. I love that the piece of engagement and connection is so much a part of this because if we relegate the work of EDI, equity, diversity, and inclusion to simply a program or an initiative without looking at how do we connect our humanity, then we failed. <laughs> then it becomes just performative and it doesn't become, you know, transformational in ways that bring people together. And it's a perfect example of inviting each other to the table, to each other's table. The breaking of bread, the communing together is is how we connect, especially on that inclusion component. Would you say that there are opportunities, and, and you and I have had, had these conversations before about not only bringing the joy, the joy I think is critical and important, and it certainly is what leads me, but willing to have the uncomfortable conversations, <laughs> willing to broaden the conversations in ways that sometimes people are, you know, can be uncomfortable having those. When you and I have talked about these, having these critical conversations, there were things that I just was not aware of 
walking into not just being a, a fan or someone who consumes theater, but now engaged in um, the conversations about how do we become more equitable? How do we, in fact, um, create these cultures of inclusion? And so when I think about how you have centered as part of this experience, we often lift race. We often talk about equity from the lens of racial conversations, which are important. We may also center them around gender conversations that can be binary in many ways. How you center LGBTQ plus that experience and what that community is a part of the larger umbrella. How critical to these conversations is ensuring that the intersectionality of our experiences becomes a part of that conversation as well. Yeah, I think intersectionality is incredibly important. I mean, every single one of us has a multitude of different perspectives that we bring to the table. It's not just, you know, gay man, for example. I'm also a Midwesterner. I'm also an American. I also came up from a low middle class, you know, so there's all these factors that we bring to the table. Mm -hmm. And I've learned so much from my colleagues that come from a different place in the world than me. And you you enter into a mindset that you're learning to learn, right? Mm -hmm. Like you are going to constantly be learning and you have to be opening to getting feedback. As part of that process, I think it's also important that I provide respectful feedback from an LGBTQ perspective. And honestly, as a gay man myself, I'm learning things too. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm now a parent and we have a 19-month-old boy who loves to watch Peppa Pig. And Everett runs around the house, and his new word is mommy. And he's looking for mommy. And I'm thinking, oh, this is an interesting LGBTQ perspective. Like, how do I explain to our son that this is a two-daddy house mm. because he's getting it from Peppa Pig, right? And I thought, I would have never have thought about this previously. And what does he call me versus what does he call my husband? Mm-hmm. You know, even when you're living in this environment on a day-to-day -day basis, and this is your identity, you're also learning absolutely all the time. And so you bring some of those insights to your work, and we we hope that everybody brings their whole person to their role at Milwaukee Rep, and and we want to make sure that we have a learning environment that is uh, not only accepting but encouraging of that. Absolutely, being your authentic self. I mean, I, how important that is for anyone's lived experience to be valued, but even as you think about a company, an organization that is actively telling stories and actively engaging in ways that other organizations or entities are not that authentic experience, I think is, is hugely important. When we also talk about, and again, I've used the word umbrella. I think you and I, we've talked about Milwaukee Rep's work in the EDNI space, remembering that this is an umbrella of celebration. How critical or how important do you think that is in how we engage in this work is recognizing the multifacetedness of our experience, our collective experience, but how we also celebrate all of these ways that we identify ourselves. Yeah, you know, you know, I also am heavily engaged with AFS International Exchange programs, and, and we host exchange students. And when we talk to them about their American experience coming here, we often talk about this iceberg, and mm -hmm. the tip of the iceberg is what you see. So if I didn't know you, Tammy, I would assume that you are a female-identifying African-American, maybe from Milwaukee. And that's the tip of the iceberg. And the largest part of the iceberg is underneath the water that you do not see. Mm. I think as society, we often make assumptions very quickly based upon what it is that we see at the top of the iceberg. And we have to work 
better at um, understanding that people are complex and there's a multitude of things underneath the water that are driving decision making. And those are actually not just, they shouldn't be seen as impediments. They're actually assets to who they are as a person. And so understanding that what we see at the very top is literally only the tip of the iceberg. That is such a powerful analogy that I am going to borrow. (laughs) So I am telling you now that if it shows up somewhere, I promise to give you credit. But I do think what you are lifting is that we do. It's what we see first. And the part of engagement and going deeper and transformation is how do we break through the iceberg? Because there's so much more to both of us as we identify, you know, I'm a mom, I'm a business owner, I'm a member of this community, I'm a daughter. I mean, the layers underneath are so much richer in many ways than me identifying as a black female. I mean, like it just, there's so much more. Yep. And why would you only be interested in that little time, you know, get to know all of me, right? Yes, absolutely. When you think about, you know, as pulling back the layers or going, you know, beneath what is the tip of the iceberg, how would you describe and as your personal and professional lives have connected or intertwined, how would you describe those journeys? How have they been alike? How have they been different? Yeah, I think you can learn from everybody that's in your life. So it's funny how as a father, I'm learning to see the world through the eyes of my son for the first time and Mm -hmm. what he is engrossed by and what he finds interesting. And it's something that I find mundane. Similarly, when we have exchange students that come to us from around the world, they view things about American culture and they ask questions. And to me, it's just how the world is and how it exists. And, And they question assumptions and they question status quo. Mm -hmm. I think part of that is because they are also of a different generation, but it's also because they're different part of the world. So I think everything intersects by just acknowledging that you are continually learning through your entire life, professionally, personally, and the best parts of both parts of that, of a person's being is what you can bring to anything that you feel passionate about, whether that's work or whether it's anything else that you're engaged in. You you have lifted this a few times. And by the way, if you follow Chad on social, you will see little Everett that we have talked about is the cutest little boy you can ever imagine who is just growing literally before our eyes. So you need to so follow true. Chad <laughs> on social <laughs> just to see the pictures of, of baby Everett. But you've also lifted this experience that you and your husband have had, not only looking at what it means to raise this little human, Everett, but also now as parents to AFS sons, I don't want to call them AFS sons, but part of AFS is hosting these young men. And so talk to us a little bit about how that has also informed your lens around these critical issues, how that's impacted you in in ways that maybe you had not intended, but are certainly a part of your life now. Yeah, hosting an AFS student, one is an incredible experience. Just every year we host a different teenager from a different country and a different age, and they come into our house, and you immediately have to start viewing things through the eyes of another individual. Hmm. So fascinating, last year we had a son from Poland, and I think about every single thing that we're taught in American history, and he had a love for history. So we would sit down and talk about it. And his perspective from a former Eastern Bloc country on 
World War II, World War I, very different mm. than what I was taught in my education. And you learn quickly that holding two truths at the same time is very possible and likely. I mean, we oftentimes get into a debate of who is right and who is wrong. Sure. Just depending on where you stand and your viewpoint, it is very possible that even if you are on opposite sides of the universe, that you both can be right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that as society, we have to become more comfortable with that having places where both people are right and both people can hold two different truths is something that I think is a little bit weird for us. I think it's a, we like to have a dichotomy of belief. And yet it's essential, I think, to understanding each other. Mm. How powerful is it to say that we both hold truths? How much richer would our debates and our struggles be if we acknowledge that we both, <laughs> all of us can, you know, there's a part of this conversation and engagement that is rooted in truth for both sides. How much more could we advance work or even come together collectively with that that understanding you know my friend dustin just posted something yesterday on social media and he said remember when you are in conflict with somebody and you're telling your truth the person that you're in conflict with is also telling their story and in their story they're the hero and you're the villain mm. and i thought oh that's interesting where the way we view it is always through our own lens we're always right we're that's always right. the hero but there is a second story to be told. And in that story, we're playing the role of villain, mm -hmm. right? And so it's always makes you think about your own actions and how they're perceived. Um, and even in situations where you, you have zero intent of harm, you can do harm. And you just need to acknowledge and thank people when they let you know how that is and, and change behavior. And it isn't anything, an attack on your character. Everybody is doing their best and everybody's learning. It's just part of your learning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When you're looking at this work and just as you've dropped this great nugget around understanding truth, if there are others that are wanting to engage in equity work, wanting to engage on this equity journey to be at the table and to frankly just be in community to advance equity. What counsel, what advice would you share? I think the best understanding that I've had is through long-term relationships that are held in truth. So if you remember uh, back when I called you, Tammy, and I said, you know, we need to hire our, our first chief diversity officer and I need somebody who's comfortable and having difficult conversations with me and not afraid to tell me the truth. Mm. And I trusted in our relationship enough to make that ask. And you always provided that. And so I think the best learning comes from people in your circle that you already have a really good trust with. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think those are the people that care about you, that love you, and they love you enough to tell you when you're stepping in it, right? Yes, absolutely. So... I mean, have one-on-one -on -one relationships with people that are different than you in a variety of ways mm -hmm. and get to a deep enough trust where you seek their input and advice and, and they're free to give it to you. And that's how you learn and grow. I love it. The circle of accountability, the circle that gives you what you need, tells you the truth in an authentic way and upholds you and undergirds you because, you know, these are your people, right? And so recognizing how important that is. And you know, and you know, it's done out of love because if they don't love you, they wouldn't care. They would just move on with their lives. They don't need to tell me what I need to work on or what I'm doing. Right. Yes. They would just let me continue as is. So you have to view it as a, an act of love, right? Absolutely. 
As you are navigating, and we talked a little bit before going on the air with the podcast, Milwaukee Rep is getting ready for its production season. We, collectively, because I am still a part of the Milwaukee Rep family, so I'm I'm affectionately saying we, <laughs> because right. this is my extended family. Tell us what <laughs> is, what's on the hopper? What can we expect for this season? Yeah, I think this season is going to be incredible. There's a lot of diverse stories being told. There's some world premieres. In fact, uh, today we just had the start of rehearsal for Wife of a Salesman, which is a riff on what happens to uh, the story of death of a salesman mm. from the perspective of the wife who was cheated on, mm -hmm. which is a really interesting perspective to tell that story. I'm always excited to see a work of August Wilson's on our stage. August Wilson is arguably America's Shakespeare. In his 10 work cycle, we've produced, this will be the eighth out of the 10. So seven guitars is going to be in January. And then of course we do really big spectacle. Well, like Titanic, the musical is just going to be, you know, stunning. And so there's a lot of great things on our stages and hopefully you'll find that there's something for you and come out and, and join us. Absolutely. I'm excited for this season for all of the productions that you just mentioned and more, uh, all of the great things that continue to happen at Milwaukee Rep. So please, if you are local or want to be locally in Milwaukee, you need to come hang out at Milwaukee Rep <laughs> this season. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Chad, let me ask you this question. As you continue, you've shared such rich experiences, both leading this incredible organization, but your personal commitment with family. What is giving you hope these days in a time of uncertainty, like around our globe and things that are happening? What keeps Chad hopeful? Yeah, I got to tell you, you know, and this will not be a surprise to you, but being a father really changes your perspective. Mm. And so every day where I see, I, I watch little kids, I used to be a kindergarten teacher as well, but I watch, I watch little kids and how they interact with each other because Everett's, you know, constantly in classes or whatever. And there's a lot to learn from them as well. Mm -hmm. There are no barriers that, that it, like adults have, and they bring joy to almost every single thing that they have. And so watching the youngest of the young and how they interact with the world brings me joy and encouragement every single day. So I think that that's, uh, something that I'm very grateful for. I know it's probably trite, but it's it's true. I love it. I do. Well, I want to switch gears to our final part of the podcast, which is everyone wants to know what Chad Bauman is listening to. What is on your playlist? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this is awful, but I'm listening to musicals. <laughs> I'm listening to musicals on, on what it is we're thinking about our um, next season in 2023, 20, 24. So that's, of course, very stereotypical for a theater <laughs> leader to say. I also got to say, I love uh, Lizzo's music. <laughs> I love it. So that might not be that not going to be obvious, but it plays in our house all yeah. the time. And our Spanish exchange son is starting to enjoy it uh. as well. So my, my music is eclectic. okay. All right. And what about anything that you want to share in terms of what are you reading besides maybe scripts these days? I'm reading this really fascinating book called the teenage mm. brain. And it's about, I also sit on the board of a high school. So I'm, I'm trying to understand a little bit better about 
uh, some of the psychology that our director discusses about teenagers. And of course, we're, we're constantly raising teenagers. So it's a, a book about the neurology behind the teenage brain and why teenagers make the decisions that they do. It's fascinating. I love it. Well, again, I just want to appreciate you and thank you for taking time. Thank you for your commitment to this community, to running an incredible organization that I am a part of, that I'm proud to still be connected to after all these years, now in a different role as a proud trustee. So elated that I get to continue to be on this journey and in community with you. Let's give it up for Chad Bauman. Thank you so much, Tammy. And thanks not only for being a fabulous friend, but an awesome community leader and now a wonderful trustee. Thank you. I appreciate that. And we appreciate all of you for listening and tuning in today to this edition of On the Edge of Equity. Until next time. Thank you for joining us on the Edge of Equity. Please join our email list at info at athenacommunicationsllc.com so you don't miss a single episode. The link is also in the show notes. You can also support the show by sharing it on social media with your personal and professional networks, suggesting guests and topics for us to spotlight, and engaging in crucial conversations about systems change.